0: Normally we would say, uh, why don't you turn around and say hello to someone as Pastor Tom comes up. So if you're on Facebook, FaceTime, live, Facebook thing going on, and you see the comments underneath there, why don't you give a shout out to maybe someone you see on there and say hi to them. And, and as you're scrolling down a little bit, say hi to one another. And, and uh, I think that'll be one way of connecting us as a church together. Uh, we also are broadcasting on YouTube live this morning and so if you don't have uh facebook you can also see us through youtube and and working everything together and i want to just give a a special shout out of thanks to to jacob potter and joey humphrey my son and jacob who's been with us forever just what a blessing they are to be able to get all this stuff going for us in such a a short amount of time and turning our church into an online church and so so grateful and thankful for them well if you have your bibles now Turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be picking up where we left off about two weeks ago in chapter 2, verse 16 through 23 this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23. I'll give you a moment to grab your Bible, get it out, turn to that part of God's Word. I know there's some ushers here that would love to bring a Bible to your house, if you don't have one, but uh, such as it is. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16, we read this, "...so let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels." intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concerns things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. The title of my message this morning is Religion Versus Relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together online, your church, and to be able to dig into your word, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you are right there in each person's home where they're sitting right now listening, and it's your desire to speak to our hearts wherever we are at. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have receptive hearts, open hearts to receive all that you have for us this morning. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone that is listening right now that does not have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. They don't know that their sin can be forgiven. They're not born again today. Lord, would you especially touch their heart this morning. So we thank you for this time, Lord. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray of a small church where the pastor walked up to the pulpit and says, well, I've misplaced my, my notes, my sermon notes this morning, so I'm just going to read from this devotional uh, if I can find it here. And, and why I, while I do, uh, let's look to the choir and, and they, they can sing a hymn. And he glances over to the choir, but, but he sees that there's only one person in the choir. And the choir director says, we thought the service started at noon and only Mrs. Marzen is here right now. Well, a parishioner leans over and whispers to the person next to him, I love this church. I've never been much into organized religions. Prior to all this going on with the virus, there was a poll taken that 30 to 40 percent of young adults were leaving organized religion at an alarming rate. And the reason uh, behind it is they reported largely due to discomfort with religiosity, to which I can agree, because... Man's organized religion is really man's attempt to have communion with God, whereas the Christian faith is a relationship with God because of not of anything I have done, but because what Jesus Christ has done for us His sacrifice upon the cross. Paul said in chapter 1, verse 27, our hope comes from Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the real question is not do you attend church. The real question is, is Christ in you? Because it's not a matter of religion, it's a matter of relationship. It's not a question of theology, it's a question of intimacy. It's not knowing about Jesus intellectually, it's knowing Him personally. In a relationship with Jesus, there's no plan to reach God, it's God has reached down to us. In a relationship with Jesus, there's no pride in what I have done, it's all by grace that we've saved, we are saved. In many cases, the result of organized religion is a distraction from the intent of God. However, the Bible does speak about organized believers who are a part of His plan, and, and God calls these groups of organized believers churches. I guess in this case, it could be better called an organized relationship. Because being organized is not the problem. Thinking you can come to God through any other way other than Jesus Christ, that's the real problem or thinking after coming to Christ, you have to obey a set of rules or regulations, or you have to have some mystical experience to maintain that relationship with God, or that you're going to practice some self-inflicted pain to prove that you truly know Christ. That's the problem, and that's what Paul is addressing to us this morning. Now, two weeks ago, we left off looking at these false teachers that were seeking to infiltrate the church, these These stealth bombers, if you would, who appeared to be for Christ, but were in reality not of Christ. They were saying things like, well, Jesus is cool and all, and and Jesus was important, but he wasn't supreme. There was more that you needed besides just a relationship with Jesus. And we looked at four basic teachings of these false teachers. We looked at the Gnostics, the Gnosticism, which taught men's philosophies. Then we looked at the Judaizers, the little yap-yap dogs, if you remember, that kept yapping at people's feet and telling them that they need to adhere to schools and and regulations. Thirdly, there were the mystics, those into hyper-spirituality and spiritism. And finally, the Essenes, they were into what is called asceticism, or the practice of radical self-denial. Now, this morning, we're going to continue to look at how dangerous these beliefs are by refocusing refocusing our attention on Jesus. And if you're taking notes this morning, which I encourage that you do, even in your home, we're going to see three things. Number one, focus on Jesus, not legalism. Number two, focus on Jesus, not mysticism. And number three, focus on Jesus, not asceticism. Number one, we need to focus on Jesus, not legalism. Look at verses 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ. Now this is going back to the judaizers. They were the legalists saying things like well the way to be more spiritual was to keep the sabbath and keep these festivals and to refrain from eating and drinking certain things. They wanted the believers to go back to Judaism, back to following the Laws, all 613 of them found in what is called the Mishnah. Laws that no longer apply to them now uh, that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there are laws today that, that don't apply any longer. For example, these are state laws from, from the state of Florida. Number one, their state constitution allows for freedom of speech, a trial by jury, and pregnant pigs to not be confined in cages. Number two, woman may be fined for falling asleep under a hairdryer, as can the salon owner. Actual laws. Number three, a special law prohibits unmarried woman from parachuting on Sunday, or she shall risk arrest, arrest, fine, and or jailing. I like this one. Number four, if an elephant is left tied to a parking meter, the parking fee has to be paid just as it would for a vehicle. Number five, it is illegal to sing in a public place while attired in a swimsuit. Number six, is probably good law. Men may not be seen publicly in any kind of strapless gown. Number seven, people who own bars, restaurants, and other places where liquor is sold may be fined up to a $1,000 if they participate in or permit any contest of dwarf t- tossing. How about these ones from from uh, Georgia. It's illegal to use profanity in front of a dead body which lies in a funeral home or in a coroner's office. Two more. Donkeys may not be kept in bathtubs. And finally, number ten, no one may carry an ice cream cone in their back pocket if it's a Sunday. Listen, there are laws today that people are under the impression that need to be followed... In order to please God. Even though Hebrews 11.6 tells us without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For you who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But some have made up their own rules. they made up their own laws. For example, some people think that just by attending church is going to improve their standing before God. Hey, God should be happy with me. Uh, you know, I, I went to church twice this year. Or they brag about how they haven't missed church in 10 years, but they act as mean as the devil. I'm sure you've heard all of these. It's been said very well, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Krispy Kremes makes you a police officer. Or the one that gets thrown back at me. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Andy's Frozen Custard makes you a pastor. My point is that there are those that think that God has put some big scale in the sky and that salvation is based on whether or not you attend church. And there are those that come to church and they never participate in worship. They never open their Bibles. They never really talk to anyone. They never really sense coming into the presence of the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth. And they walk out the doors going, Well, I did my good deed for God today. That should count for something. That's legalism in its basic form. During this whole COVID-19 virus, my daughter, Laura, she was at the grocery store, and she overheard a woman saying to her, she's buying a bunch of things, and and obviously for other people, because she says to her, this ought to be enough to get me into heaven. That's that's legalism. Trying to do something on the outside to be right with God on the inside. Never grasping Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. Well, these, these legalists, they were about the law, these Judaizers. They were keeping track. They were taking names. They were making a list, and they were judging the church in Colossae. Telling them, well, you can't eat certain foods, and, and you need to stay away from certain drinks, and you need to keep these certain festivals, and new moons, and Sabbaths. And they're passing judgment on the people within the church. So Paul says in verse 16, Let no one judge you. That word for judge means to constantly criticize. These Judaizers were constantly criticizing them for not keeping the law and its ceremonies. Have you been around people who all they do is criticize? Pastor Chuck Swindoll tells a story of a couple of men who were serving on the same university campus. One was a professor of astronomy, and the other was a dean of students of the Divinity School. Both of them were at this party conversing about their different fields of interest, even though neither one had much respect for the other area of study. And in a rather sarcastic way, the astronomer said to the theologian, I suppose everything in religion can be boiled down to the golden rule, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. That's kind of it, isn't it? The theologian looked at him and said, Well, I suppose it could be put that way. Kind of like in astronomy, everything boils down to twinkle, twinkle, little star. You know, I have found that people who always criticize are the most joyless people around. They, they, they have no joy. A survey asking mothers to keep track of how many times they made negative comments compared with positive comments to their children came up with this. They said that they admitted that they criticized 10 times for every time they said something favorable. A three-year survey in in one city school found that the teachers were 75% negative. The study indicated that it takes four positive statements from a teacher to offset the effects of one negative statement to a child. I say this because people who are legalists are very critical of other people and it's harmful and it's hurtful. And sadly, in many churches today, there are legalists. Those are very critical against other believers based upon their own convictions and views of the Christian life. And they have its tendency to to, to form these convictions based upon a very rigid and sometimes inaccurate understanding of the Word of God. And people develop these strong convictions and live by them. The problem, though, is... Not only do they try to live by these heartfelt guidelines themselves, they expect everyone else to live by them as well. And if someone doesn't hold up to the same, uh, you know, levels, the same view of the subject, then that individual is judged, or at least uh, to be less spiritual, or worse, to be in open rebellion against God. But that's not what God wants for His church. We know from Scriptures along with one another. Unity in the body of Christ is a very serious issue to the Lord. In fact, many passages are devoted to this issue. We're told in Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. Philippians 4, 2, we're told to live in harmony in the Lord. Second Corinthians two or twelve twenty, Paul gives this warning to the Corinthian church and appeals to them to repent. He says, For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come there may be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. That's what legalism does. It causes a body of believers to constantly criticize one another and it brings disunity. And one of the greatest concerns elders and pastors should have is to maintain the unity in the body of Christ because disunity is destructive. Legalism is destructive. That's why Paul says, don't buy into it in verse 16. Don't let them constantly criticize you about your food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbaths. The food refers to the dietary laws of the Old Testament. The drink probably refers to the fact that they wanted everyone to avoid the alcohol uh, the way a priest must under the law. Festivals is a requirement that all males make a pr- pilgrimage to the temple at Jerusalem during the major feasts. The new moon speaking of here, spoken of here means they wanted everyone to observe the Jewish ceremonial calendar. And finally, the Sabbath days would include all the scriptural and extra-scriptural teachings about resting from sundown on Friday through sundown on Saturday. Basically, what these teachers were saying is that you need to convert to, to Judaism to keep the law if you want to be a real Christian. Paul says, don't buy into it. He says in verse 17... These things were a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. In other words, the purpose of these laws were to to prepare you for the coming of Jesus Christ. He is the substance. He is the one that that these point to. You know, it's been a a good three weeks since I've uh, seen my granddaughter Madeline because of this whole virus thing, and it's driving me crazy. But I see her... Every day on on FaceTime, we you know we FaceTime, and she she will look at me, and I'll look at her, and I'll say, "Madeline, you know, Papa loves you." And she'll say, "Papa," and she'll grab the phone, and and she'll hug the phone, and she'll kiss the phone because it's a representation of me. It's it's not me. Now, when I finally get to see her, she's not going to run up and hug and kiss the phone. She's going to run up and, and come to Papa. That's what Paul here, these people hug rules and regulations and diets and dress and and days, but they're missing Jesus. These things are just a shadow. The reality is Christ. He is a substance. Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament rules, regulations, and ordinances. Once you have Christ, you have it all. Why then would you embrace the shadows of legalism? So point number one, Jesus, not legalism. Point number two, focus on Jesus Not mysticism. Look at verse 18. Let no one cheat you of of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now this is the second time that Paul says, let no one cheat you. I think I shared this a few weeks ago. Uh, it's like an ad that was placed in a magazine. Are you tired of being ripped off? Have no fear. Send me a check for twenty nine ninety plus $3.99 for shipping and handling, and you'll get my brand new book, How Not to Get Ripped Off, as they're ripping you off. See, that's what Paul, Paul is saying here. Let no one cheat you. Let no one defraud you. Let no one lead you away from what you know is right. Don't let them cheat you. And the ones that were cheating them weren't the legalists. They were the mystics. Now, mysticism is defined as the pursuit of a deeper or higher subjective religious experience. It is the belief that spiritual reality is perceived apart from the human intellect. I read one definition, mysticism, uh, ultimately derives its authority from a self-actualized, self-authenticated light rising from within. It's putting your faith in extrasensory perception, believing in clairvoyance and psychic healing. It's what we would call the New Age movement. Now there are ways that mysticism has really uh, infiltrated the church today, this false teaching. We've looked at this recently in one of our studies a while back. Some of the New Age practices going on in actual, uh, you know, popular churches today. One was called grave sucking. A true thing. It's the act of lying across a physical grave of a deceived preacher or evangelist for the purpose of pulling out the power of the Holy Spirit, a power that was purportedly trapped within the body upon the person's death. I'm not making this stuff up. (laughs) How about what's called Soaking. Or they call it contemplative prayer. It's the encouragement of practicing and making oneself comfortable, playing fitting music, and emptying oneself by saying a word over and over again, like a mantra. I mean, the, the simple fact of choosing a sacred word to repeat supposedly shows the, the uh, individual's desire to connect with God. Soaking or contemplative prayer is nothing more than transcendental meditation with a new name. One more there's a group today called NAR. It stands for the New Apostolic Reformation. According to the, an article by Berean Research Org, they say that the New Apostolic Reformation is also known as Dominionism, Third Wave, Latter Reign, Kingdom Now, Joel's Army, Manifest Sons of God, Charismatic Renewal, Char- Charismania. Its founder was C. Peter Wagner, who claimed that the church of the 21st century would be ruled by apostles and prophets. Wagner had anointed himself Nars' presiding apostle until he passed away in 2016, linked with the Kansas City prophets who brought grandiose claims that a new breed of super prophets were beginning to arrive on planet Earth that would change the world forever. It's led by alleged prophets and apostles and teaches that these new apostles and prophets are to be the government for emerging a new world order. They claim direct revelation to God, and many alleged Jesus and angels visit them in person, on a regular basis. Some of them declare that they have visited heaven many times and had conversations with Jesus as well as the prophets and apostles. They have an experience-oriented theology based on emotionalism. I like what Pastor John MacArthur says. He put it this way, NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, It's like grape nuts. It's not grapes and it's not nuts. It's like Christian science. It's not Christian and it's not scientific. While the new apostolic reformation isn't new, it isn't apostolic and it isn't a reformation, but it is a rapidly expanding movement being generated by some of the same old troubling false teachers and false leaders that have been around for decades. In the same way, Paul is saying these mystics in his day were claiming that they had special visions and special revelations and contact with angelic beings. So Paul says here in verse 18, Let no one teach you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by the fleshly mind. He says they take delight in false humility. Now, they were different than the legalists. The legalists, man, they, they had the pride. They, there was nothing uh, humble about them. The mystics, on the other hand, they had the, the false humility. Oh, oh, we don't want any credit for ourselves. We just want you to experience what, what we experience. We're, we're nothing. False humility. It's when you want others to see and say how humble you are. It's, an, it's all outward. It's all for a show. These mystics were saying things like, well, we're not claiming to have all the answers. In fact, we realize that there are others that are a lot closer to God than us, like the angels, and we need to learn from them. We need to to look to them as our spirit guides. Listen, false teachers and their doctrines are, are, are always trying to get something or someone between you and God. In the case of the mystics, their medium of choice were angels. They believed that, that men and women could pray to angels and the angels would then pray to God on their behalf. What they were doing is similar to the new age today in that they have spirit guides. See, nothing is new under the sun. Nothing is new when it comes to false religion. It's just a rehash of the same old stuff. It's the same idea. Their are they're, they're pushes that you're unworthy to approach God. You need someone that can stand between you and God. Other ways that this false teaching has infiltrated the church is is through the practice of of praying to the saints or praying to Mary. Sadly, the Roman church has gone so far as to say that Mary is a co-redeemer with Jesus Christ. In fact, when they pray, they pray, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners. That is a false teaching. First Timothy chapter two, verse five tells us, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. See, Paul is saying here in verse eighteen, they're intruding into things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Like virtually all cults and, and false religions, the Colossian false teachers base their teachings on visions, revelations they supposedly received from angels. And all of that did was cater to their flesh. Well, I had this vision today. You need to hear this vision that I have. Well, I've had this, and and, and listen, to what I have to say, or, or or let's move it up a few years. Uh, listen to this. Uh, uh, I have another testament of Jesus Christ. It's, it's Joseph Smith would say, "Listen to what I have to say." How about listening to what God's Word has to say? Galatians one eight. But even if we or an angel from heaven to preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Listen again. Jesus is the only go-between, between between God and man. One God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. In fact, look at verse 19. Paul describes our relationship with Christ in comparison to what the mystics didn't have. Verse 19, he says, they were uh, not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. The fact is, as a born-again believer, you are a part of Christ. You are connected to Christ. You don't need any other mediator. In the same way, uh, I've shared this before, if one of my kids come to me or my grandkids and they want to talk to me, they don't have to make an appointment. Okay, son, I'm available for you between 10 and 11. Just see my secretary. No, my kids can come to me anytime whatsoever, show up, open my door, and say, excuse me, dad, I need to talk to you. Why? Because they're my kids. I'm related to them. We're we're part of the family. See, this is what Paul is doing here. He's giving us a better description here of how we can do the same thing with our Heavenly Father. Because Christ, we are in Christ. That means we are part of of His body. And He is the head. And we're the the rest of His body. And we get our nourishment from Him. In other words, we have a direct link to Christ. Like the joints and the ligaments have a direct link to the brain. There's no need for gurus. There's no need for religious systems that tell you how to get to God. There's no need for spirit guides. No need for the psychic hotlines, the uh, angels are Mary. You only need one thing, and that is to be connected to Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus put it this way in John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's as straightforward as you can get. I mean, that's a, a radical claim. How could Jesus make a claim like that? Because He did what no other religious leader was able to do. Jesus dealt with that which was keeping you from God in the first place, which was your sin. And He dealt with it by becoming sin for you. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become His righteousness. Jesus died at Calvary, rose again on the third day to prove that He was the real deal. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus died upon the cross, the veil Temple tore from top to, to bottom, signifying that we have open access to God the Father. That you and I are free to spend time with God and fellowship Him with Him through Jesus Christ. So these mystics, these false teachers in Colossians, were ignoring the reality of our connection to Christ, that He is the only mediator we need. So Paul says, let no one rob you of this. Let no one tell you that you are unworthy to approach God or not spiritual enough to have that type of relationship with Him. This is what Jesus came to do to bring you back in fellowship with the Father, to connect you personally with God. False teachers, they always want to promote their doctrines, all these things that that will mature you and take you deeper into the Christian life if you listen to them. It's all about them. Paul says it's the opposite. It's all about Jesus. That is why the simple joy we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be guarded. Because there's something about religion and legalism and and mysticism that is so attractive to our flesh. It always seems more spiritual to practice something mystical like that uh, than to simply just talk to the Lord as we would talk to a friend. More uh, spiritual to practice grave sucking or soaking than simply talking to the Lord. Listen, it's never more spiritual to rely on experience and emotionism than the Word of God. It's never more spiritual. It is a return to shadows that will cheat us now and later. It's always that way. Though some popular movement, they come and go, these false doctrines, they come in some form or another and it just keeps going and going and going. That's why we as a church, we reject spiritual phenomena that are based solely on experience. We are to look to the Word of God for the basis of all of our faith, all of our practice. Now this brings us to our final point. Number one, focus on Jesus, not legalism. Number two, focus on Jesus, not mysticism. Finally, number three, focus on Jesus, not asceticism. Now this is an interesting practice. Look at verses 20 through 22. Therefore... If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as a living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerns things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. In other words, our focus needs to be on Jesus, not asceticism. Now, if you're gonna go astray, by some mystical thing, or if you wanted to go astray and get all legalistic, if if you're going to be cheated and robbed of your reward or misled, you would not want to pick door number three here. You would not want to go this route of asceticism. I mean, it it is the worst out of the three. Asceticism is radical self-denial. It's deliberately refusing to have any material comfort at all in order to gain spirituality. Do not touch. Do not... Taste, do not handle. This is asceticism. Now, this group called the Essenes practice asceticism. They would say things like, receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior was good, but if you want to take it to the next level, you need to kill your flesh. You need to, to put to death that, that carnal nature, that real spiritual reality you, you could be realized. And the way to do this was to deny the flesh, not just deny the flesh, but deny the luxuries of life. Even for some, the necessities of life. And then to punish the flesh by putting it through horrible hardships. Sadly, through the years, this has found its way into the church. In the 4th century, a man by the name of Asepsimus wore so many chains that he had to crawl around on his hands and knees. Basarian, a monk would not even give into his body's desire for restful sleep, and for 40 years he would not lie down while sleeping. Marcarius the younger, sat naked in a swamp for six months until mosquito bites made him look like a victim of leprosy. One man by the name of Maron spent 11 years on a hollowed-out tree trunk. Others lived in caves, dens of beasts, dry wells, even tombs. To suffer this discomfort, this, this filth, this stench, worms and maggots were considered to be spiritually beneficial and a sign of victory over the body. Martin Luther went without sleep and during bone-chilling cold without a blanket and literally beat up his body uh, to the point where where he thought he was doing something right with the Lord. Later he commented, If anyone could have earned heaven By the life of a monk, it was I, is what he said. Doing these things was supposed to guarantee that you would become more spiritual. They're all outward things that were supposed to have an inward effect on your life. But that's not how it works. We are changed from the inside out, not from the outside in. Look at verse 23. Paul says, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. I like the way the New Living Translation puts Colossians 2.23. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Trying to become more spiritual through self-denial and outward disciplines would be like going and purchasing Leonardo da Vinci's original painting of the Mona Lisa, taking it home. Once home, you think, you know, this needs a little bit more color and and maybe a little more detail. So you get out your finger paints. No one in their right mind would do such a thing. Why? Because it's a masterpiece. When da Vinci was finished, he was done. He created a masterpiece. Now in the same way, our salvation that Jesus Christ accomplished for you, for me, is a masterpiece. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, it was done. Our salvation was complete. Our sin was forgiven. Just enjoy it. Just live in it. Just hold fast in the head. Let Him do the work inside you that will motivate you to love and the good works. It's an understanding that you as a Christian are free from the rules and the regulations of this world. You are literally dead to them. They're no longer the controlling force of your life. The only restriction that God has placed on your life is to stay away from things that are sinful. Because that which is sinful will cut you off from the life of God. And reality, In reality, that is the key. The, the key is holding fast to the head Jesus Christ. The key is abiding in Him, letting His life flow through you. If you do that, you will have all you need for life, for godliness. Your life will be complete in Him. And notice this back at the end of verse 19. When you're focusing on Jesus, you will grow with the increase that is from God. That means we're going to grow according to God's timetable in the areas that He really wants us to grow in. You know, God's timetable is is not our timetable. There, There are no shortcuts to spirituality. No no shortcuts, to, rather, to spiritual maturity. God's idea of where we need to grow does not always match up with our ideas of where we think we need to grow. Now, our timetables is usually, I want it now. We want the, the instant fix. We want the instant healing and the instant blessing. Man, we want this COVID-19 virus to be over so we can gather together as a church again. But that's not always the way God works. Oftentimes, God needs to lay the foundation before He can build the house. We just want the house, but without the foundation, that house will eventually crumble and fall. So God does the work in our lives as we dig into God's Word, precept upon precept, line upon line. And His time in our lives, we begin to grow. As He lays that foundation, then the blessings come, miracles come, provision comes, and we produce lasting fruit. As we focus on Jesus, we will grow with the increase that comes from God. That's the growth that you and I need. So, the answer to legalism is to focus on Jesus and the grace He's given us. The answer to mysticism is to focus on Jesus and how profoundly we we are related to Him. He is our mediator. And finally, the answer to asceticism is to focus on Christ and to recognize that Jesus Christ did all that work upon the cross when He said, It is finished Paid in full. Our salvation is complete. Just enjoy it. Walk in it. Let me say that's especially true in the days and weeks in which we we are living today. Focus on Jesus. Stay close to Him. Stay in His Word and most of all, pray. Finally, as we close, perhaps with all this going on in the world today, God's been tugging on your heart. And you want to get right with God, but you didn't know how. Maybe you thought by one of these things we talked about this morning, well, i got to follow a set of rules and regulations, or i got to have this this, this huge emotional experience, you know, this, this mystical experience, or, or i got to just, you know, make myself miserable in order to be right with God. Let me tell you, there's nothing you can do. I want to speak to your heart right now and tell you, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with the living God. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for you. 45 years ago, this coming May 24th, 1975, my best friend, 15 years old, was in a terrible car accident that left her paralyzed from her chest down, T5 and 6 injury. At 18 years old, she became my wife. And for the first year of our marriage, all I wanted for her was to be healed. And I sought God, and 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 I, you know, I was a part of organized religion, and 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 I thought if I can earn my way to heaven, then if I give up all these bad habits, asceticism, if I if I you know did all three, if I follow these these legalistic rules, if I if I uh, look to the mystical, then then find out what I could do, then God would heal my wife. My theory was if good works can get me into heaven, then good works should get my wife healed. What I didn't realize, about anything I could do, It's about what Jesus Christ has done. As I was searching for God to heal my wife, God came to me and healed my life. It wasn't about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. I gave my life to Christ at 20 years old and I've never regretted a single day of it. God will heal my wife one day. And I believe that day is soon because I believe the Lord is coming back very, very soon. But until then, you need to know that God can touch your life as well. If you're searching, and you have emptiness inside, and you're looking in this world and go, what is going on in this world? What it is, is Christ, God wants to get a hold of your heart. He wants to forgive you of your sin. And all you do is have to come to Him and confess your sin. I, I, I don't know, with all that's going in the world today, so much uncertainty, I don't know why anyone would wait a minute longer without getting right with God. And if that's your desire right now, as we're gathered together, as you're listening to this, if you would just pray this prayer, mean it from your heart, God will come into your life, He will forgive your sin, And you can be born again. Just pray this prayer after me. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my God. I want to follow you from this day forward. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you from this day forward. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross and rising again from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, God has forgiven you of your sin. Christ has come through His Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to help you now grow and learn of Him and grow in that relationship with Him. Now, if you've done that, would you please drop us a line at ccspringfield.aol.com Just a little quick email, a quick little note letting us know so we can pray for you Answer any questions you have. If you need a Bible, we can send you a Bible. Let us know. Finally, for us as a church, as the worship team comes on up, we're going to do one more song because we're going to close with a song like we normally do. Let me say this as they're coming up. We have the opportunity, like no other time in history of our generation, to be used by God to bring about a great revival in our country before Jesus Christ returns. Man, we have been praying for years for revival in our nation. And think about it. We're not hearing any more about the crimes in Chicago, are we? We're not hearing any more about the gang violence in L.A. We're spending time home together as a family. We're taking walks through our neighborhoods with our families. We're eating meals together with our families. It's amazing when you stop and think about it. I read that the ban on elective surgery due to COVID-19 applied to surgical abortions, basically banning abortions for anyone more than 10 weeks pregnant. I read that anyone who performs an elective surgical abortion in Texas between now and April 21st can now be sentenced to jail for 180 days or fined $1,000. Amen. I heard of a brewery that is no longer making alcohol but instead making hand sanitizer. (laughs) Those are all good things. But that's not revival. But what is? It's people open to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are open like never before. This could start this great healing in our land. So our job, church as Christians, Calvary Chapel Springfield, the wider church, the Church of America, we need to keep praying my pastor, my first pastor, pastor at Evangelist Great Glory, had asked us to pray at 7.14. You can pray at 7.14 a.m., 7.14 p.m. Why? Well, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Man, I'm ready for our land to be healed. I don't know about you. Listen, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds our tomorrows. So let's, as a church, continue to pray and see how God can use each one of us to reach people for Christ. Remember, our church isn't empty. We're just deployed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for just how powerful you are and your word is to change our lives. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone that listened to this message, that that gave their life to you, Lord, that they would continue to walk with you, Lord, that they would come to know you in a greater capacity as their Lord and as their Savior. Bless us this week, Lord, as we uh, just continue just to be in our homes and pray and and go together as a family. We do pray for the needs of others. We pray for this virus to end, Lord. We pray for the time that we can gather together once again as your church. Either here in this building, Lord, or in the sky when you take us to be with you. So thank you, Lord, for this time. We give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would say to you,